Destination Eat Drink is up next. But first, listen to this great other show on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. This week on Minutia Men Celebrity Interview, we talk with Rico Suave himself, Gerardo. You were far better looking than Rick and I ever were. Uh, do you still have that beautiful mullet? As far as the mullet, there's nothing I can do, my brother. My hair be receding for the last couple of years is almost gone. Oh, yeah. now we love you. <laughs> Minutia Men Celebrity Interview, an Opie show only on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Great Talk Radio isn't dead. It just moved to a better place. Radio Misfits. .com. A candy called Hokey Pokey, Marmite, and British pubs nearly 12,000 miles from London. This week, we're in Christchurch, New Zealand. Traveling the world to bring you delicious dishes, tasty beverages, and interesting experiences. This is the Destination Eat Drink Podcast on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. I'm Brent Peterson, host of Destination Eat Drink, the travel podcast for foodies. Each week, we travel to a different foodie city and sample the best food and drink and cool things to do there. And this week, we're in New Zealand and the city of Christchurch. I've been wanting to do an episode on Christchurch for a while now, but shortly after we visited, the city was hit with an unimaginable tragedy when a white supremacist from Australia murdered 51 people at the Al Noor Mosque. Because of this, I've waited to do the episode. And if you're thinking of going to New Zealand and Christchurch, but are concerned about your safety, know this. The homicide rate is actually 7.5 times higher in the U.S. than it is in New Zealand. You're 7.5 times more likely to get killed in the United States than you are in New Zealand. New Zealand is an incredibly safe place. And Christchurch in particular is a great place to visit. It's the most British of all the New Zealand cities. There's even a river on it called the Avon, where punters in flat-bottom boats take tourists on leisurely rides. And like England, People from all the former British colonies are represented with excellent Indian food and an amazing Burmese restaurant. Just thinking about all this is making me hungry, so let's eat. What to eat? Hey, you gonna finish that? On Destination Eat Drink. There's more about Christchurch than we could ever fit into a single episode of Destination Eat Drink. So check out DestinationEatDrink.com for more great dishes, beverages, and things to do in Christchurch, New Zealand. My favorite place to eat in Christchurch isn't one place, it's eight. The Little High Eatery is a group of eight restaurants under one single roof. The restaurants ring the perimeter of the space and there's shared seating in the middle. There's also outdoor seating when the weather's nice, and the weather is often very nice in Christchurch. These food courts or food halls or whatever you want to call them are becoming more and more popular, and there's good reason for that. Customers like choices. And several restaurants in one spot affords them a lot of choice. Businesses like them because rent is cheaper than a standalone space and multiple restaurants under one roof attract more patrons. Little High has a wood-fired pizza place, a burger bar, a Thai street food joint, and several other options. My favorite is Caribe Kitchen. 
their pasteles, a crispy fried pastry dough filled with beef, chicken, or veggies is outstanding, as are all their salsas, sauces, and spices. And get ready to be social if you visit Little High. The communal seating lends itself to conversation with strangers, and the atmosphere is loud and boisterous. And despite what your mother told you, I recommend talking to strangers. Of course, you have to use good judgment, but I often meet the most interesting people this way. Karen and I stopped in for a light dinner at a place called Casa Publica. We wanted to eat outside, but all the tables were taken. A nice couple saw us wandering around aimlessly and invited us to join them at their large table. They turned out to be locals who had lived in Christ Church for most of their lives and told us incredible stories about the earthquakes in the city and the rebuilding effort by the people of Christ Church. After eating and talking for an hour or two, this lovely couple invited us to take a trip with them later that week to Akaroa, about a 90-minute drive from Christ Church. We ended up taking the scenic route, which was more like two hours. And to be clear, I don't recommend getting into cars with strangers, but we felt very comfortable with these lovely Kiwis and wound up having a marvelous time in Akaroa. I do, though, recommend talking to strangers, and New Zealand restaurants seem to encourage this practice by putting large communal tables in a lot of their outdoor spaces. Hokey Pokey is the most popular flavor of ice cream in New Zealand. And if you ask a Kiwi to describe Hokey Pokey, they'll tell you it's made with vanilla ice cream and honeycomb. So the first time I heard this, I just assumed they meant honeycomb that comes from a beehive. You'll sometimes see this for sale at farmer's markets in the United States, and it sounded interesting to me. But I come to find out that Honeycomb in many British English-speaking countries simply means sugar that's been caramelized until it becomes toffee. So hokey pokey ice cream is really toffee ice cream. Still delicious, and I'm in 100%. Hokey pokey ice cream, and hokey pokey candy for that matter, is available in every New Zealand grocery store. But to get the tastiest hokey pokey, you've got to visit Rollickin Gelato on New Regent Street. It's just $5 New Zealand, about $3.20 US, uh, for a generous scoop of gelato on a waffle cone. And the hokey pokey is divine. They often play with the recipe, but I'm always on the lookout for hokey pokey covered in chocolate. I have to admit, I held a stupid stereotype about the food of Myanmar or Burma. I assumed it was similar, if not the same, as the cuisine of its neighbor, Thailand. Then I had a meal at Ragoon Ruby in Christchurch. There's a tiny community of Myanmar expats in Christchurch, and it seems most of them work at Rangoon Ruby, working hard to make authentic dishes from their homeland. Everything we sampled was extraordinary, from the blue peas with shallots to the grilled eggplant with sesame seeds. But the star of the show is lepet thok, one of the most popular dishes in Myanmar. Lepet thok is made by pickling tea leaves. This seems strange to Western palates that are only used to drinking tea. In fact, Myanmar is the only culture that eats and drinks tea. Once pickled, 
the tea leaves have sesame oil added, and a salad is made with the pickled tea leaves with lentils, the sesame seeds, and spices. I was enchanted. One quick word about the name of the country. Myanmar is the common name of the country, and I thought that Burma was the colonial name given to the country during British occupation. However, speaking with a gentleman from Myanmar who works at Rangoon Rubies, he assured me that both are acceptable. He told me that in the Burmese language, the words Burma and Myanmar sound almost identical. It seems crazy that they would sound identical, but when he pronounced them in the Burmese language, I could see where he was coming from. Um, I found out that a military junta took over Burma in 1989 and changed the name of the country to Myanmar and tried to purge the use of Burma to legitimize their takeover. Either way, Myanmar or Burma, a person from the country is unlikely to care either way unless they have a staunch political reason for their stance. Marmite is a byproduct of the beer brewing process. It sort of looks like and has the consistency of molasses, maybe even a little thicker. Marmite is salty, uh, although the New Zealand version is less salty than the very salty Marmite that's made in the UK. It also is yeasty and has a very concentrated flavor. That is, it's an acquired taste. Kiwis are serious about Marmite, and after the 2011 earthquake, the Christchurch Marmite factory, the only place that made Marmite in the Pacific, was closed down, and New Zealanders began hoarding the precious commodity. Jars of Marmite were reportedly being sold on the lucrative Marmite black market for almost 200 times their normal price. Today, Order has been restored to the once chaotic Marmite universe, and the product is back on grocery stores happily at reasonable prices. So how do you consume Marmite? Well, most importantly, use it sparingly. Marmite rookies often glob the stuff on their toast and then declare that they hate it. Be adventurous, spread the Marmite lightly on toast, maybe add some butter, and if you don't like it, you can always use the Marmite to get a cat out of a tree. In the show notes, I've got a link to a guy who actually used Marmite to get a cat down from a tree. Want to drink? I'll have another on Destination Eat Drink. Get the Destination Eat Drink podcast delivered directly to your phone or computer or tablet by subscribing at Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts, including radiomisfits.com. There's links to every episode of the podcast archived at destinationeatdrink.com. Just click on the podcast tab. Christchurch, like all of New Zealand, is serious about its Java. So, of course, there's lots of great cafes to choose from, like Addington Coffee Co-op and Procope. But C1 Espresso is my favorite place, and it's a must-visit for both the excellent cup they make and the wacky vibe. It's housed in a former post office dating back to 1932. Uh, C1's been there since 2012. They had to relocate after the earthquake. The building is in the Art Deco style, and it's one of the few in Christchurch that survived the tremors of 2010 and 2011. 
That's because it was built shortly after the Napier earthquake. Napier is another town in New Zealand that suffered a horrible earthquake in 1931. So when they built in 1932, they were especially concerned about earthquakes and built it to survive. But inside is where C1 Espresso is really interesting. Like I said, it's a former post office, so they have old pneumatic tubes that were used to shuttle the mail around from one office to another office. Kind of like those tubes you'll see at the drive through at the bank. It's the same thing. And some of the menu items can actually be delivered right to your table via pneumatic tube. Not the coffee, of course, that would be disastrous, but stuff like French fries and other stuff, they will come to your table via pneumatic tube at C1 Espresso. While there's a certain British vibe all over New Zealand, it was an English colony after all, Christchurch embraces Brit culture with gusto. There's even a river called the Avon, named after the famous waterway in England. And across the river on Oxford Terrace is Pegasus Arms. Oxford, Pegasus, I told you, it's very British. And Pegasus Arms is a quintessential British pub in every way, except there's lots of outdoor seating to take advantage of the superior New Zealand weather. Pomeroy's is another great bar. They've won Best Bar several years in a row, and they've got over 30 taps, including several cask choices. They serve an English pint, which is a little more than 19 ounces, so you get a really healthy pour when you go to Pomeroy's. At the other end of the spectrum is the speakeasy called The Parlor. It's inside the OGB, the old government building on Cathedral Square. This is a more sophisticated place with old-time rules of behavior that include gentlemen not speaking to ladies unless first approached. The Parlor has an extensive cocktail list, but you can get a beer there too if you like. They even have one of my faves from the States on tap, Brooklyn Lager. Things to do and places to see. I don't know. What do you want to do? On Destination Eat Drink. Have a question or a comment about Destination Eat Drink? Find me on Facebook at Destination Eat Drink or Twitter at Eat Destination. Or click on the contact tab at DestinationEatDrink.com. Christchurch will forever be defined by the two earthquakes that practically leveled the city in September 2010 and February 2011. The 2011 quake was actually an aftershock of the stronger main one in 2010, but because the 2011 quake was closer to the city, it did much more damage and resulted in the deaths of 185 people. Scars of the quake are everywhere. Christ Church is in the middle of an ambitious rebuilding plan, but evidence of the quake's damage is still everywhere. Nowhere is this more so than Christ Church iconic cathedral. The earthquake left the church badly damaged. Its main spire and part of the roof both collapsed, and the gorgeous rose window in the front of the church was destroyed by subsequent aftershocks. The church was actually scheduled to be demolished, but Opposition to the plan left the church building in a state of limbo for several years. Construction fencing surrounds the church, preventing you from going inside. But the church is actually visible from outside the barrier. And you can see pictures of the church at DestinationEatDrink.com. Just click on New Zealand and Christchurch. Recently, 
church leaders decided to restore the church, although the process is going to take at least 10 years. In the meantime, they built a transitional cathedral, the so-called cardboard cathedral, which was built in 2013, the first major building to open after the earthquake. The cardboard cathedral was using giant cardboard tubes as building material to support the roof and the structure. It's like when you mail a poster, those tubes that you send in the mail, they're similar to those, except they're obviously bigger and more sturdy. But that's what is used to build the cardboard cathedral. There's also an earthquake museum in Christ Church. It's called Quake City. They do a good job of showing the damage done by the earthquake as well as the efforts to rebuild the city in a way that will resist future tremors. Quake City is purposely light on artifacts, although there's a few salvaged items on display. Instead, they focus more on multimedia exhibits. You can sit there and watch TV broadcasts from the day of the disaster, interviews with experts, and interactive displays. You can stand on a little platform and see what different quake magnitudes would feel like. But the most evocative earthquake site in Christchurch has to be 185 empty chairs. This memorial to the victims of the 2011 earthquake sits on a nondescript corner in the city. It's really kind of a vacant area with traffic going by. All the chairs are painted white, but each chair is different. There's an office chair, a lounge chair, next to a wheelchair, next to a plastic chair, next to a chair that you might have in your garden. Perhaps this shows that while 185 people died in the disaster, each person was a unique individual. The people of Christ Church have a very sunny and optimistic outlook, and I guess they have to as they try to rebuild their city. The reconstruction is going on in Christ Church at a rapid pace, and the job of rebuilding is going to take decades to complete. Don't get me wrong. It's not like you go to the city and it's completely leveled. A lot of the city, in fact, the majority of the city is standing, is still habitable, and still conducts business. But you can see the scars of the earthquake practically everywhere you go. And there's lots of empty lots in the city where buildings used to stand. They had to be torn down because they were no longer structurally sound. Many of these empty lots have become parking lots. I've never seen so much parking in a city this size. If you drive in Christchurch, you will never have trouble finding a parking spot. But Christchurch has also done something quite unique with the temporary unused urban space. These lots have become what are called gap fillers. The Gap Filler Project started as a way to fill up this empty space in Christchurch with art and other interesting installations. In the past, Gap Fillers have been music pavilions created out of wooden pallets or an outdoor cinema powered by pedaling bicycles. And many of the Gap Fillers are intended to be temporary, but a lot of them have been up for years as we wait for building to be completed in Christ Church. Junk cars are converted into gardens. There's a giant video game. There's even an outdoor discotheque. Those are just a few of the fun, interactive gap fillers in Christ Church. And you never know when you're going to turn a corner and run into one of these whimsical gap fillers. 
In fact, the gap fillers have become so popular that the nonprofit group who started the idea in Christchurch has expanded into cities around the world. What a great idea. In addition to the gap fillers, there's also an extensive collection of street art in Christchurch. There's murals all over the city, and you can see a nice collection in one space at the Brockworth Street Art Gallery. And while there are memorials to the earthquake victims in Christchurch, so far, there's no memorial to the mosque shooting victims. Complaints that the proposed park and water feature they were going to build was too over-the-top and ostentatious and didn't have enough input from the Muslim community led to the idea being put on hold. Hopefully, it'll all be sorted out. In the meantime, you can still visit the Mosque Al-Nur and sign the condolence book. I always recommend walking tours when visiting a city for the first time. It's a great way to see several sites in half a day and decide what sites you might want to spend more time at. And tour guides are often a wealth of information. I've received great tips on places I would never have known about otherwise from tour guides. Walk Christchurch hits all the top spots. The tour takes about two and a half hours of walking. You get to see the Christchurch Cathedral, the Cardboard Cathedral, the Earthquake Memorial, the Empty Chairs, and the Avon River. The tour also takes you through the first floor of the Canterbury Museum to see the excellent Maori exhibits. But I recommend revisiting the Canterbury Museum and looking at the whole thing. It's really quite spectacular. Tips and inside information on Destination Eat and Drink. I like talking about and writing about the food and beverages that I sample from around the world, but when I'm not doing that, I write fiction. Check out my foodie novel, Truffle Hunt, and That Bird, my collection of short stories on DestinationEatDrink.com. Just click on the Books tab. No doubt about it, New Zealand is a long way away. It's a 13-hour flight from L.A. to Auckland and then another 90-minute flight to Christchurch. So you're not going to head here for a quick vacation. In fact, I think you need at least two weeks if you're going to go all this way. A nice way to break up the trip is to stop in Hawaii. That's a five-hour flight from Los Angeles. Spend a few days in Hawaii and then on to Auckland, which is another nine hours. I've done a few episodes on both New Zealand and Hawaii you might find helpful for your trip. Episode 8 is about Auckland, episode 13, Wellington. And as far as Hawaii goes, I talk about Honolulu on episode 2 and episode 20 and Kauai on episode 36. All those episodes are listed and archived at DestinationEatDrink.com. You may plan a New Zealand trip and say, why should I go to Christchurch? I'm going to go to Auckland. I'm going to go to Wellington. Well, I would say Christchurch is probably the friendliest and the most accommodating of all the cities in New Zealand. Auckland is a very international city. It's a great place to go. Wellington has more of a bohemian vibe. I think you get more of the British vibe in Christchurch, although it also has a rather international flavor. And the people in Christchurch are so happy to see visitors. I've never felt so welcome as to when I went into Christchurch, unless it was dropping in a bar in Dublin. A lot of restaurants had to relocate out of the city center after the earthquake, so 
You can grab an Uber or a bus and get there easily. Christchurch has good public transportation. It's easy to use. But if you're planning a day trip or venturing far out of the city, you might want to use a car. Just remember, like in the UK, you drive on the left side of the road. It takes a little getting used to, but I found it pretty easy to adapt. Your mileage may vary. When learning about the Maori, the indigenous people of New Zealand at the Canterbury Museum, you might wonder why they would sign a treaty giving up their land and sovereignty to the English. There's actually lots of reasons for this, but one of the reasons is that the Maori were actually deceived by the English. They signed a treaty in English that was different from the one they were given that was written in their native Maori language. But the other reason is that the Maori were inclined to side with the English because the French were also trying to colonize New Zealand at the same time, and the Maori preferred the English over the French. On the far end of the Banks Peninsula is a little town called Akaroa, and when the French settled this area, they renamed it Port Louis Philippe. Though the French were only in Port Louis Philippe for a short time, French culture persists in the village. Streets are called Rue, and there's French flags fluttering in the breeze of this seaside town. There's even a French fest every October. The town itself is rather sleepy. The main drag is lined with boutiques and art galleries and French restaurants. And a leisurely stroll to the lighthouse just outside of town is time well spent. Or you can book a tour to swim with the dolphins or take part in any number of water sports. But be aware, cruise ships dock at Akaroa about twice a week. I've got a link to the schedule for the cruise ships in the show notes. It's best to avoid Akaroa on these days. Thousands of passengers disembark at Akaroa, and although many of them head to Christ Church for the day, a lot of folks stay in Akaroa to enjoy the quaint village, and they can easily overwhelm this tiny little town. Driving's the best way to make the two-hour trip to Akaroa, but if you don't have a car, there's a seasonal shuttle. It departs Christ Church each day at 8.30, returns at 3.45, but know this, there's only one shuttle departing and one returning, so if you miss your 3.45 coming back, you're out of luck. You're sleeping in Akaroa. If you do have a car and you decide to drive to Akaroa, you can stop along the way at the Christ Church Gondola. It's a good stop, and getting to the top of the mountain only takes about 10 or 15 minutes aboard the gondola. Once there, you have sweeping 360-degree views of Christ Church, the Banks Peninsula, the harbor, and the southern New Zealand Alps. It would make a great addition to your Facebook or your Instagram timeline. Well, that's going to do it for this episode of Destination Eat Drink. We drop a new episode each Friday. Join me next week. We are in Paris, France. Destination Eat Drink is distributed by Ed Silla. Big thanks to him. I'm Brent Peterson. I will see you down the road. Join us next week for another culinary adventure on Destination Eat Drink, a presentation of the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. 